Hey, Liza. Saw your Instagram post on Sunday. Way to keep that ice bucket challenge alive. Good morning. Hey, Derek. Great morning, Isabel. Yes. Hey, Trent. Hey, Liam. Hey, tell your mom happy birthday for me. And whatever gift you end up getting her, let her know it's from both of us, huh? <laughs> Morning, Colin. Hey. Hey, Doc. You get any trouble last night? Nothing I care to speak about at work. Ooh, Doc, you are more mysterious than David Blaine reading a Sue Grafton novel at Area 51. <laughs> well, Ted, make an appointment when you need to talk. Hey, I talk all the time, Doc. Just let me follow you around for 10 minutes. 10 minutes to go, and since the amazing goal from Tars, Spurs have completely marked him out of the game. Richmond could pull off an incredible upset, but they need to hold their nerve. Yeah, no, I'm... I gotta go, my stomach. Oh. Ted, you scared me. Are you okay? I wanna make an appointment. Good morning, Hope. Welcome to all of you, wherever you are, whatever Hope location or online where still most of you are, although it's getting a little crowded in here. It's kind of fun to see. So uh, praise God for being one church in many locations where we can worship God together. That's awesome. It's nice to see the COVID numbers going this way, uh, like dropping like a rock. That's really, really good to see. Keep praying for that. There, in all of England, there isn't a happier man than Ted Lasso. And if you've watched the Emmy Award-winning uh, comedy show on Apple TV, you already know this. Season one was awesome. Season two, personally to me, a disappointment. But there's one storyline in, in the midst of season two that I want to point you to today that I think is exceptionally well done. Jason Sudeikis plays Ted Lasso. He's a college football coach from um, the Midwest and, and with Southern boyhood charm who is hired to be a soccer coach which uh, the rest of the world would call football. It's weird. Uh, but they would do that, and they would say he's there. Actually, it's probably weird that we call it football because all you do is kick field goals. But anyway, he's hired to be a coach in this really kind of important uh, major league soccer uh, that they have in this part of Europe. And he really doesn't know what he's doing, but he's a great coach, and he's a great guy. And he is, in my opinion, a Christ-centered guy, too. It's a secular show, so... Apparently it's a rule, if you're a secular show, you can't call somebody like him a Christian, but he's the only one in the whole cast who doesn't cuss up a blue streak uh, the whole way through in the dialogue, so there's that, and in a much deeper level, he's got this. He's got hope, and he's got belief. He plasters a believe sign up above his office because he wants his players to believe in something more than themselves. He wants them to believe in a higher power in God. There's this phrase he says, y'all got over here in England, it's the hope that kills you. I disagree with that phrase. I think it's the lack of hope that's going to get you. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. And so would we. So isn't it fascinating that in all of England, the happiest man, Ted Lasso, and this is so well done, this is so well written, this is so well directed and played out and acted, isn't it interesting that the happiest man in all of England has panic attacks? That he struggles with mental health, which is exactly how it works. 
Uh, people who have had panic attacks, and maybe that's you, would say, my heart pounds in my chest when these things hit. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't stop shaking. Pretty accurate description. I'm not talking about being nervous. I'm not talking about, you know, preaching a sermon with my partner in crime today, Pastor Jeremy. We're tag teaming uh, because, you know, it gets exhausting sometimes, and you got to tap out once in a while. So here we are, and we have this this, we can get nervous, we can get stressed out about things. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about overwhelming panic attacks. The kind that produced the, the fight or flight kind of uh, response. The, the kind that made Ted Lasso have to leave this huge, important soccer game, run away, and get out of there. He had to flee. He had to go. He had to lay down. He had to rest. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. You can go on to say in the next line, a description of this. Ted Lasso has more of these things. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. And here, sadly, and unfaithfully, and in no way can we justify this with Scripture, here's what a lot of religious people do with things like that. Oh, you're having panic attacks? There must be something wrong with your faith. There must be something wrong with your spirituality, with, with your connection with God. If you could only have the faith that I have, you wouldn't have these panic attacks. You wouldn't have anxiety. You wouldn't have depression. You wouldn't have anything of these things going on. Never mind that probably the cause of panic attacks, it could be a series of things. It could be a, a, a chemistry uh, issue in the brain. It could be hereditary. It could be massive, overwhelming stress, uh, grief. It, it could be uh, all sorts of trauma, abuse. All sorts of things can cause panic attacks. And it's kind of hard sometimes to connect those dots. Sure, I suppose spiritually we can do things that are so far outside the boundaries of God's will and his commands and his law that, that we wander away and that leads to brokenness and, and, and hurt and, and broken relationships and, and abuse is a sin too. We, we could be in, into those situations and you could say, well, that's why you have the panic attack. So it's a spiritual thing. Sure, it's, it's one possibility. But enough of this, church. Enough of this. Let's have a love that's patient and kind, as the Bible says. Let's, let's have a, a patience with folks. Let, let, let's also see things for what they are. People have anxiety, and people fight against depression, and people have mood disorders, and people have panic attacks, and, and any other of a long list of struggles with mental health. Almost always, it has nothing to do with their disposition. There isn't a happier man in all of England. It almost never has anything to do with their failure in faith. So stop the judging. Stop the self-righteousness. Stop the condescending attitudes. Because you aren't doing your friends or your loved ones or, 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 or your, your acquaintances any favors. And you're misrepresenting, more importantly, you're misrepresenting Scripture and what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, by the way, this description of a panic attack was written by King David. It's in the Bible, Psalm 55. David had a panic attack, and he wrote about it. And he's, every word in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it's pretty clear God wants us to be able to read it. 
God wants us to find psalms, which is a fancy biblical word for songs that are written in the key of life, that, that meet us right where we are, whatever it is you're up against. You should page through them sometime. Read through until you find the one that clicks with exactly how you're feeling in this season of life. My heart pounds in my chest, David is saying, as he's having this panic attack. A fear and terror, it, it overwhelms me. Oh, that I could flee, that I could run away like Ted Lasso did and just lie down. I could fly away and rest. If King David, who the Bible describes later as a man after God's own heart, has a panic attack, let's step away from this nonsense that everybody who has any kind of struggle with mental health has some sort of spiritual flaw that needs to be fixed. It's just not biblical. Would you say that to King David? Well, your faith isn't very good. Would you say it to, to, to Ted Lasso? Mature believers are not immune from mental health conditions. It's not just David. It's, it's uh, famous people that we know from history in the present. Abraham Lincoln, severe depression bouts. Dolly Parton, have you ever heard or seen a happier person on planet Earth than Dolly Parton? She built an amusement park for crying out loud. Depression. Selena Gomez, Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright, the great architect, Oprah Winfrey for crying out, The Rock, do you want to smell what The Rock's cooking? Mental health struggles. Winston Churchill, J.K. Rowling, the author of the, of the Harry Potter series. I could go screen after screen after screen. The list, you can Google this, folks. The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. You are not alone, or your loved ones are not alone who struggle with mental health. Elijah, not just King David. Did you know he was suicidal at one point in his ministry? Just take God's word for it. It's in 1 Kings 19. Elijah went out into the wilderness. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. This is Elijah, the great miracle worker of the Old Testament. God's right-hand man in the world during his time. Major depression. Suicidal. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm done. I am no better than my ancestors. I'm out. He didn't take his life. And I want, I want you to hear this clearly because there are thousands of people who can hear our voices right now. And I know, Pastor Jeremy, this is your heart too. It's the heart of this church. Some of you who are hearing our voices right now have suicidal thoughts, ideations. And you're struggling with those right now. Please, your emotions, what you're feeling... And even if it was the highest high, even if you're on the mountaintop emotionally these days, even if it was the most joy-filled experience ever, or the darkest valleys, here's the thing all of your emotions have, no matter who you are and what you're feeling today. What you're feeling right now won't last. If it's great, if it's the worst, or if it's anything in between, it's temporary. So please, hold on. Keep the faith. Reach out for help. We're here for you. Hope is here for you. It's not just Elijah. It's not just David. It's Job. Job cries out, my life seeps away. Depression haunts my days. God's thrown me into the mud. And then Job's friends come along and try to offer him some advice, but it's terrible. By the end of, uh, of reading through Job, that becomes crystal clear. The Bible's clear in saying, this is the worst thing you could say to a friend who's battling depression. Well, you know, Job, maybe there's some sin in your life. That's probably why this is happening. Those, of course there's sin in your life, Job. There's sin in your life. Turn to the person right next to you and say, there's sin in your life. Because it's true for all of us. That's absolutely right. But that's horrible advice for somebody who's in the midst of depression. There, we got that out of the way, right? We're all sinners. If you're looking for a perfect church of saints, this ain't it. All right? 
This is a hangout for sinners, not a our hospital for sinners, not a hangout for saints. They said, well, Job's children got killed in a horrible uh, disaster, a natural disaster. Well, Job's friends say, your children must have sinned. That's why they got killed. God must be punishing them for, for something that they did. This mentality is so hurtful and so unbiblical. It's because of your wickedness. There's no limit to your sins, Job. That's why you're suffering so much. Job's not alone, Elijah's not alone, David's not alone. Isn't it interesting that when we go to the Bible, we find people who are depressed, suicidal, and are getting really bad advice from over-spiritualized friends. Over the last two years, anxiety and depression rates in America have practically tripled from about one out of 10 to one out of three. And this is just the people who admit it. How many more are fighting it but don't want to admit it, don't want to acknowledge it, want to minimize it and deny it? Panic attacks like Ted Lasso had that you saw in that scene like David describes in Psalm 55, 35% of Americans will experience panic attacks. I'm not talking about nervousness. I'm talking about overwhelming fear, the kind that makes you have to run away from the room that you're in right now and go lie down just to get a breath. 35% of us will experience panic attacks at some point in our life. 11% of us will experience them this year, according to the statistics. There's a Greek word for anxiety in the Bible. It's merimnon. It's translated as anxiety or care or burdens or worry, but literally it means dividing the whole, fracturing our thoughts. It's a distraction. It's, it's you when you're trying to sleep at night. You lay your head down on the pillow. You say, oh, finally, I can get some rest, and then you don't sleep, even though physically you're exhausted. Your mind is racing. It's distracted. You've got fractured thoughts. It's dividing the whole. You're worried about this and this and this and this and that. And it's all spinning around and moving together. Miriamnon. It's in our text for today that you heard read earlier in the service. Give all of your worries and Miriamnon, your cares to God, your burdens, for he cares about you. And he will start to take those divided thoughts like puzzle pieces that are scattered all over the floor and he'll pick them up one at a time and he'll start to piece them together bit by bit. King David, the same David who had panic attacks in Psalm 55, famously writes in Psalm 23, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I'm not afraid. Why? Because God is with me. I'm not alone in this. You are not alone. Now, I asked you to tell, or to tell the person next to you that they're sinners before. I want you to say this. Say it louder. Say, you are not alone. You're never alone, say. You're never alone. Go right and left. I want everyone to hear that. You're never alone. You're never alone, Jeremy. I'm right here with you. Here we are. You're never alone. More importantly than you just have people around you right now, that's good, that's important, that's great. God is with you. God is with you. And that's particularly, impo particularly important when you're up against it. You know, one of the things that I have always thought uh, before I really started to understand who God was and the power of God's love for me was the fact that in order to be somebody who could follow Jesus, it meant that I could not share the reality of what was going on in my life. But the thing that I've come to know, and hopefully the same thing that you've come to know, is the beauty of our faith. The beauty of being a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not pretending to have it all together, but it's the ability to be honest. It's the ability to be, to be vulnerable, which is really extraordinarily hard. And that's so true with our mental health. I think about it, I, I go to the physical therapist a lot. Why? Because I have a body that was meant to be a sprinter. I'm short, I'm stocky, but God didn't give me the ability to be fast. So I, I run long distances. 
And so because of that, because I'm not built for long distances and I run long distances, I spend way too much time with a physical therapist. I become really good friends with them because they're going to help me. But one of the things when I've gone to a physical therapist, and many of you have experienced the same thing, the first thing you do at your first appointment is they give you a sheet. And it has a diagram of the body, front and back, and it says, indicate where you're having pain right now. And you put certain letter, letters for certain types of pain, and, and then it says, rate your pain on a scale of 0 to 10. Like, 0 is no pain, 10 is a lot of pain. And sometimes I think we, we, we put it towards the 10 because we think that that pain is a badge of honor. Like the more pain that I have shows the more work that I've done and, and oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to get as much down as I possibly can. And we think about it that there's nothing wrong with admitting that our body hurts. So why is it different with our emotions and our feelings? It can be so easy to, to share with somebody and say, ah, I, I hurt my ankle. But then why is it when somebody asks you how you're doing and you're not doing very well? that you say fine. Or that somehow maybe if you were to admit that there's something going on, like something, some issue that you're struggling with, that somehow that would indicate that you are lesser, or you're not strong, or you're weak, or, or you don't have your stuff together. Can we just stop doing that? Feelings, emotions, they're, they're never wrong. What they are is they're indicators. Feelings, emotions help us to understand that there's something going on in our lives that aren't, it's not going exactly the way that we want it to. So we should probably pay attention to it. We should probably take notice of it. And like Pastor Mike talked about, this is so prevalent in our lives right now. According to the Iowa Youth Survey, 21% of teens in Iowa, youth in Iowa, this isn't national Church, this is in our neighborhoods. 21% of Iowa youth have contemplated suicide. Now think about this. For those of you who are, are in this room, this lower section of seats, this lower section of seats, it's just over 1,300 seats. So if we were to go to one entire section, it would be every single seat in this section plus some more would be students that are around us that have contemplated suicide in this, in this last year. And a lot of it, and I just have to say it, especially because my kids are this age, a lot of it has to do with this. We got to get some brakes on this, folks. We just have to put some brakes. You would never get in your car after church. You would never get in your car after church. Hopefully you never would, unless... You've totally lost your marbles and, and get into a car and the person says, your brakes don't work. And you're like, ah, no big deal. I'm just going to go and ride. And I'm just going to go until I run into something. We're running into something. And I know. I know what it's like when all your kids' friends have a phone and have data and have social media. I know what it's like to have your kid look at you and say, you are just so uncool. And I'm like, you don't need me to be cool. I don't need to win your approval. That's not why God placed me in your life. God placed me in your life that hopefully I can give you breaks when you aren't able to stop. Some of you have been following on Instagram the last week. There's a hashtag, do it for Drake. There's a young, a, a young person, 12 years old in Utah, that took his life this last week because he's been bullied on, online. We need to get in tune with it. I think about when I was a teenager, 
if I said something really dumb, which I did a lot, or if I did something really foolish, which I did a lot, when the school day ended, I could go home and I could have a reprieve. We don't get that online. But it's not just the kids, is it? It's the adults. It's all of us. 32%. 32%. I just, no matter if you're at one of our local sites, if you're at one of our campuses, whether you're online or whether you're in this room, I just, just out of curiosity, if you know somebody, not you, I'm not asking about you at all, but if you know somebody who has struggled with mental health, would you please stand up? Just if you've known them. Now, what would it look like if, as a church, we said no more? We said no more. We're not going to sweep it under the rug anymore. You can be seated. But unfortunately, we think, you know what? If I'm dealing with it, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to do more. I'm just going I'm I'm to think my way out of it. Because for me to go and tell somebody that it's not okay would be an indication that I'm not okay. And I'm... Oh, my goodness, I would never let anybody do that. I think about it this way. I played a lot of baseball growing up. It's my favorite sport. I'm mourning right now because the labor talks are going on, and I'm scared that we're going to have a shortened baseball season. Some of you are like, good, I hate baseball. Well, (laughs) God forgives you, but I don't. Anyway, (laughs) when I was playing baseball, there were times when I was playing baseball when it was just like I didn't even have to think. Like I was in such a rhythm, such a flow, I would get there, I'd get ready, and it was see the ball, hit the ball, see the ball, hit the ball, see the ball, hit the ball. And I wasn't worried about whether or not they were going to catch me off balance, if they're going to throw me off speed, if they're going to try to go low and away. I was just see the ball, hit the ball. I was in such a rhythm, such a flow. But then every so often, there would come up a a little bit of a, a, a stretch where it seemed like every time I was swinging, I just wasn't hitting it right. And so rather than just saying, hey, you know, just do what you do. Just do what you do. Go through your motion. Do what you do. What I would start to do rather is I would start to grip the bat harder. And I would try so much harder. And I would swing so much harder because if I just did more, then it was going to get better. And do you think that that ever worked? Then why do we think it's going to be the same with our mental health? And trust me, I'm just not talking about this. I'm somebody who's experienced it. 32%, that's just about one in three. I'm the one in three. This is something that's been a very real thing in my life. And a lot of you have heard me share my story, my, my journey with anxiety. It's interesting, a couple years ago, somebody said to me when I shared my story, They said, aren't you worried that your kids are going to find out that you're talking about this? You want to know what my response was? I'm scared what will happen if my kids don't know that I'm talking about this. There was a time in my life, in my early to mid-20s, I started worrying about everything. Like, not just worry like I was just, like, nervous, but worry like I was starting to obsess about certain things. Have you ever gotten to a place where you start to think, well, if this happens, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And all of a sudden, you find yourself living a reality that hasn't existed yet. 
I found for me, like when things got quiet, my, my, my mind got very loud. And I started to wonder if there was ever going to be a time in my life where I was ever going to not worry. Like maybe this was just going to be the way that it was going to be for me. Maybe I'm just an anxious person. I hear people say this all the time. I'm just an anxious person. Let me say this very clearly to you. No, you're not. You are a child of God, created in God's image, who right now, currently, in this season, is wrestling with anxiety. I'm just a depressed person. You aren't. You are a child of God, first and foremost, created in his image. And he didn't mess up with you. But you're just dealing with some depression right now. I'm just just an angry person. No. Our identity is not determined by the things that we're dealing with. Our identity is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, and that can never be shaken. That can never be taken from us. First and foremost, that gets to tell us who we are, and that gets to tell us how we're going to work through this thing that stands in front of us. And I had people who said really well-meaning things to me that weren't helpful at all. They would say, oh, Jeremy, just, just give it to God. And I'd be thinking to myself, you don't think I'm trying? I've been, I've been, brother, just get on your knees and pray about it. I'm like, my knees are wearing out right now. Well, if you really surrender, Jeremy, then God would take this. And maybe your issue is control. My issue is I'd gotten stuck. The neural pathway in my brain had gotten such a groove in it that my thinking had gotten changed. And I started to wonder where there was hope. Now for me, I had an incredible counselor. And I I know what some of you are thinking. Because I thought the same exact thing. I was in the middle of doing youth ministry at, at, at a large church. And I thought to myself, if I show up in that doctor's office, what is everybody going to think about me? They're there too. (laughs) You know, I mean, let's be real about it. And through working with that incredible therapist, that therapist said to me, you know what? Seems like your mind is having trouble slowing down right now. Maybe you could use some medication." I'm not doing medication. That's for those people. Look, I'm type 1 diabetic. And there hasn't been a single day of my life as a diabetic where I've woken up and said, you know what? I'm strong. I'm not going to take my insulin today. That'd be silly. And for some of us, there's going to be a long season where we might be on a medication like that, which is not an indication of weakness. It's an indication of strength. For some of us, that season's going to be shorter. Medication for me stopped the free fall that was going on in my brain. And then I was able to use the tools that were given to me to able to get past that season of my life. And you will too. I never would ever want to go back through that season in my life. 
but I thank God for it. Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 28. God works together in all things for good. And I can't tell you how thankful I am to be able to know what it's like to not be able to turn it off. How thankful I am to be able to be a part of a church that talks about this stuff. Our community depends on it. God works in the middle of it. God works through it. God promises us. And he's not going to, 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 to not make good on his promise for you. He will. God promises us. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for a future that's filled with hope. God says that to his people when they're caught in exile, where they were trapped in exile, where they're living in a place that they did not want to be, where the ending of that time in exile, it was not even on the horizon. But God says to the middle of their exile, God says to the middle of the valley, God says to the middle of the darkness, I have hope for you. There is a future for you. This, this season that you're going through, the season that the people around you are going through, this is not going to be the end of your story. God is the beginning of the transformation into a whole new story for you, into a whole new life for you, to the reality where you can see the light and the promise and the love that God has. This is what Peter's talking about. Peter's not saying, oh, buck up and just give it to to Jesus. He's saying, no, I know. But God loves you. And God's love is for you. So, So give your cares, give your concerns, give your worries, give your anxiety. Give it to God because because he cares for you. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, praise God for Jeremy, John. Thanks. God, I'm, I'm, I, Jeremy, I'm so glad the way God spoke through you right there and the courage that I had to take to share that. But I want you to hear that for what it is. Um, I know Jeremy's heart, and, and I know what he's doing here today is loving you. <laughs> uh, Jeremy's from Fargo, and he's a Norwegian, and he doesn't want any attention for any of the stuff he just said. Did that help at all? A little bit. Okay, good. I, I, I'm here for you, buddy. But he steps out on that limb and he shares his own story, which is a powerful one and it's a personal one because it's an example of the truth setting us free and stepping forward. And I hope you'll follow in that if that's your story too, that God's writing. Hear this reading again, 1 Peter chapter 5. Cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He uses your stresses, your grief, your pandemics, your brain chemistry, your genetics, whatever he can to knock you out of the plan, the hope, the future that Jeremy just preached about from Jeremiah 29, to knock you out of that good plan that God has for your life. He prowls around like a lion, the Bible says. And then this, skipping down a few verses. Stand firm. Keep the faith, because in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory through Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore. Everyone say restore. Restore. 
He will support. Everyone say support. support. And he will strengthen. Say strengthen. strengthen. Say restore, support, strengthen. Restore, support, strengthen. You're all, I'm doing that. I'm not trying to give you a pep talk here, folks. I'm doing that because that's the way the Greek is written in the original text of 1 Peter 5. The way God inspired Peter to write it. It's that kind of artsy thing that really good writers can get away with once in a while where it's a one-word sentence. Bam, bam, bam. Restore, support, strengthen. This is God bringing hope to you. Cast your cares upon me, God says, and I will pick up the pieces of your scattered mind, your divided thoughts, your fractured thinking, and I will start to put those pieces together to create a beautiful portrait, to restore you, to bring you back to that picture that you're supposed to be living out, to support you, to strengthen you along the way. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. And it's sitting all around you. Avoid the, the, the over-spiritualization. Have some grace for yourself. See yourself the way God sees you. If you're one of the, the one out of three who are struggling with mental health right now, see yourself the way God sees you, with grace. You're not a faith failure. You, you don't have a spiritual problem. What you've got is you've got a, a mental issue. The devil's prowling around, but here's the good news about every fight God has with the devil. God destroys the devil every single time. So this isn't about you gripping the bat tighter and doing more, as Pastor Jeremy talked about. I remember the first time I water skied. If you ever water skied, my dad's holding me, and I'm shaking like a leaf, because I don't know what's going to happen. I've never done this before. And I'm holding onto the rope, and he says, hit it! Hit what? Zoom, I'm up, because I weigh about 38 pounds at the time or something like that. Well, 138. I'm up, and I'm, ah, and then I'm like, ooh, this is pretty fun. And then I hit a, a, a part of the wave, and, and I wipe out. And then for some reason in my head, I kept holding on. <laughs> it's like my name changed from Mike to Bob. Bob, 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 Bob. And do you know why I was holding on? Because I was afraid of what would happen if I let go. I mean, I'm getting hit. I'm getting hit left and right. But I'm like, this is better. In my fifth grade mind, this is better than letting go. Because if I let go, I'll drown. Something terrible will happen. Who knows? Finally, my dad from the, let go! Let go. It's not about all the things you got to do. It's about letting God come and say, I'm the one who will restore. I'm the one who supports you. I'm the one who will strengthen you. I'm the one who's got the future and the hope that Jeremy pointed us to from Jeremiah 29. I'm the one who was there for King David when he was depressed, a man after my own heart. I'm the one who was there for Elijah when he was suicidal. I'm the one who was there for Job when his friends were giving him horrible advice. So stop minimizing and let God come and get you. My dad comes over, he swims over to me, and after I let go of the rope, he says, I got you. I got you. Your heavenly Father's got you. Even when you don't feel it, trust the promises of God. A lot of people have told me over the last two years, I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel God's presence like I used to. I'm in the wilderness. First of all, the wilderness is never a waste. It can grow your faith. Second of all, it's not about your feelings. It's about God's promises. Behold, I'm with you always, Jesus says, even to the end of the age, even when you don't feel it. 
Trust my word. Trust my promises. I'm here to support and strengthen and restore you. I'm here with you. There's hope for you. When Ted Lasso finally got that, the pieces started to come together. He hated therapy. He was a little bit like Jeremy's story, where he resisted it, was afraid what people would think of him, that they'd think he's weak, that they think he can't handle it on his own, that he can't hold onto the rope or the bat all by himself. Yeah, well, welcome to the club, right? Dr. Fieldstone knows what she's doing. Her office is right upstairs. She's the sports psychologist for the team that Ted Lasso coaches, and all the players are going, and they love it, and she's doing wonders for them. Talk therapy can do that. It can be a great blessing that God uses to heal, just like medicine can be that for some people too. And she has love for Ted, a love that is biblical, that's patient and kind, that never gives up. Stop over-spiritualizing. Love with patience and kindness the people who are struggling with mental health. Stop minimizing. And finally, stop isolating the way Ted was doing. Well, I'll just... I'll just think happier thoughts, and then this will all go away. I'll just cheer up more. I'll just have some more puns. That'll take care of it. None of it took care of it. And he was overwhelmed with panic attacks until he said, as you heard in that first clip, I want to make an appointment. And then he took a huge courageous step, like Pastor Jeremy today. And he said, you know, what could God do through me if I told the world around me what's going on. In the London papers, they had this scandalous headlines about Ted Lasso. He didn't have a stomach problem. He has a mental health problem. He, he, he's got big issues. That, that's the problem. And rather than deny it or run away and hide, Ted Lasso took the courageous step. Take a look. The headline this morning is the news that Ted Lasso left in the middle of the Tottenham match this season not due to stomach problems, but because of a panic attack. Lasso appears to be leaving. Uh, hey, y'all. Hey, settle down, y'all. Okay, okay, easy, easy now. Easy. Hey, hey, y'all, come on. Calm down. All right? Look, um, well, right at the cricket bat here, I want to address the article written by our good friend, Mr. Trent Krim, from the... Or rather, I want to share with y'all the truth about my recent struggles with anxiety. And, well, my overall concern about the way we discuss and deal with mental health in athletics. Circle up! Hey, hey fellas, before we get started here, I wanted to talk to y'all about the article you saw in the paper this morning. But I chose not to tell y'all, and that's dumb. You know, fellas, we make a lot of choices in our lives every single day, ranging from Am I really about to eat something called Greek yogurt? To, should I leave my family and take a job halfway around the world? Me choosing not to be forthright with y'all, that was a bad choice. But I can't be wasting time wishing for a do-over on all that. Because that ain't how choices work. No, sir. To quote the great UCLA college basketball coach, John Obi-Wan Gandalf, it is our choices, gentlemen, that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. Now, I hope y'all can forgive me for what I've done. Because I sure as heck wouldn't want any of y'all to hold anything back with me. No, we got you, We got coach. you, Coach. We got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got you, Coach. Listen to me. Hear our hearts. Especially if you're in that one out of three. 
or you know somebody who is. We got you. We love you. We're in this together. We got you. You're not alone. Don't let the devil tell you you're alone. It's a lie. He's a liar. We got you. Your church has got you. Hope is here for you. Hope is here for you. You don't have to go this alone. You don't have, you don't have to have a press conference. You don't have to make a big public announcement about your struggles with mental health. But come clean. The truth sets you free, folks. This minimizing and denying and isolating and over-spiritualizing, it isn't biblical. It isn't faithful. Hope is here for you. And I'm not just talking about this church anymore. I'm talking about God's hope is here for you. God's got you. Through an imperfect church, reach out to us. We've got people in the hallways after the service, whatever location you're at. If you're online by yourself, call us. Here's all our numbers. That's the church number on the top. That's our 24-7 emergency line, please, just for emergencies. Don't wake up Pastor Jeremy at 2 in the morning for, hey, my, my dog is, uh, needs a walk. Just don't call him for that anytime, actually. Take your own dang dog for a walk. There's an Iowa suicide hotline. Liz Cox is a part of our church family here. She coordinates all of that. Unity Point and Broadlawns have great urgent care centers for behavioral health, Mondays through Fridays during business hours. And outside of those, we got you. Here's what's going to happen if you turn to your church family. We have an incredible care team led by Colette Nelson. She'll coordinate it for you, she with her team. She'll, she'll get you to the person that you need to get with. We won't judge. We will listen to you. We've got big ears. We will pray with you. We will guide you spiritually, point you hopefully to what God's word says about these things. And then this is really important. Once it gets beyond what we're trained to do, we will immediately refer to you because we have no air of, of, of like, well, it has to be us. We have a great collaboration kind of connection to Christ-centered care counselors, professional therapists in our area, and if that's what you need, come to us and we'll get you pointed to them. We got you. Hope is here for you. God is here for you, just like he was for David and Elijah and Job. Don't listen to the bad advice of your over-spiritualized friends. Don't isolate, don't minimize, don't deny. Come clean. Get the help and the hope that you need. God's got you. Amen?